You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to have you guys here today. My name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, I'm grateful that you're with us here this morning at Crossroads. If you're joining us for the first time or you've been here a million times, I want to make sure you know our mission statement, and that is that we exist to lead everyone to discover Jesus and follow him fully. And that just means we want you to have at least one person in your life that you're praying for, you're connecting with, sharing Jesus with, so that they could discover Jesus, follow Jesus, and then lead somebody to do the very same thing. So thanks for being here. And if you're joining us online, Welcome to you. We're grateful that you're with us and that chat host is going to be available for you throughout the service. So make sure you connect with them throughout. Now, before I dive in, I just want to remind you, if you were here last weekend, you saw some really great things. We had these baptistries up here. God was moving in some pretty profound ways. I just want you to know 72 people got baptized just last weekend alone. 72. So cool. So, so cool. So listen, if you're one of those 72, number one, welcome to the family. We're glad that you're here. But also, we want to let you know, we're going to be texting you or emailing you to connect with you about how we can help you take a next step with Jesus. We want you to be discipled and just take that next moment. So if you would, respond to the text, respond to the email. We'll make sure we get together with you. But again, welcome and so glad that you're with us, or so glad you made that decision too. Now, before we settle in, before we kind of dive into the message or anything, I want to do something, and I'm going to have you talk to the, pre- the people near you. Now, I promise, listen, introverts, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be long at all. It's going to be all right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just share with somebody next to you, what was the best party you ever went to? Okay, like maybe Super Bowl party, birthday party, whatever party, okay? So just best party you ever went to. One, two, three, go. Go, do it, go. All right, all right, all right. That's good. That's good. You get to meet your, right? See, introverts, I told you, be fast. You're okay. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to hang on to that thought, that little party thing that you just were talking about. Because we are, I'm here to t- we're going to talk about parties in a second here, but we, we've reached the end of our, our study of the book of Esther. Um, and it's been an amazing journey through this book. I pray that it's impacted you as much as it's impacted me. Uh, I, I know it's been pretty profound as you think about what's happening in our world and what we're studying now. But if you're brand new, you might be like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Like, I'm just brand new. I, I'm going to catch you up to speed in just a second. But uh, you should also know that as I catch you up to speed, you can also go online and you can catch all the messages that you might have missed at the website, crossroadsgrace.org. Uh, but you can also find it on our app. And so in front of you, you'll see that little QR code. You can click on that at any point and that'll send you the app and all that good stuff. So we'd love for you to maybe do that. But today we're in Esther chapter. Chapter 9, so if you want your Bibles with you, your Crossroads Grace apps, Esther chapter 9 is where we're going to be at, and I'd love for you to do that. And uh, just so I can make sure I'm with Melissa, if you would please go ahead and put the link in there for our online community, it would be awesome. But uh, as you do that, I'm going to read the first verse of where we're going to be at today, Esther chapter 9, verse 20, and uh, we'll set the stage. So it says this, it says, Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far. All right, so, so what are these events that Mordecai is recording? And you might be saying, who in the heck is Mordecai? 
Uh, great question. Let me explain. I'll give you a flyover of where we've been so far. The book of Esther opens with us meeting a queen. Her name is Queen Vashti. Now, Queen Vashti doesn't hang around very long because she gets, she gets kicked out of the kingdom, taken off the throne, because she doesn't come and dance at a party that her husband, King Xerxes, asked her to come to. And so after she was uh, taken out of the kingdom, they had this kind of like a, a parade or really like a contest to find out who would be the next queen. So of all the people that were there, this young girl by the name of Esther, who was taken from her home as a Jewish girl, brought into this harem of girls of the king, becomes the new queen of Persia. She was raised by her uncle-slash-cousin-slash-father, uh, Mordecai, who was really this uh, kind of influence in her life. And Mordecai was important because when Queen Esther took the throne, he found out a plot against the, the king of King Xerxes. He informed the court about it, saved the king's life, and so Mordecai became kind of an important part of the story that we're in. But another person that's important is the name is Haman. Now, Haman's the evil guy in the story. And Haman became very powerful in the kingdom. He was very rich, very powerful. He became almost like the second in command in all of Persia. Well, everybody was supposed to bow down to him as part of this new, new title that he had. And everybody seemed to capitulate except for one guy. His name was Mordecai. And that Mordecai guy came in. He refused to, to bow down to him because he was Jewish. He didn't bow down to anybody that wasn't God himself. And so that made Haman very mad. Made him so mad that he decided to get back not only at Haman, but all the Jewish people. He convinced the king to pass an edict that would murder all 15 million Jews in the kingdom of Persia on one day. Well, obviously Mordecai was upset about that. He would mourn and he would wail in front of the king's gates. Word got back to Esther, his relative, about this happening. She sends word to Mordecai, what's happening? He sends word back saying, Haman's going to kill everybody. You need to go to the king in order to, to, to save our people. Esther says, that's not a good idea because if I go to the king and he doesn't ask for me, I could be murdered. So I don't really want to do that. Well, Mordecai sends word back, says, listen, you have been called to such a time as this. That God's called you to this point. And so she says, I get it. If I perish, I perish. I will go to the king. She ends up going to the king, stands in front of him. He doesn't kill her. In fact, he asks what she would want. Up to half the kingdom he would give her. He says, you know what I want more than anything? Is I want you and Haman to come to a party that I am going to, to throw for you. Well, Haman got really excited about that. But as he was going home to tell his wife, he saw Mordecai on the side of the road. Uh, still not bowing down and still mourning and wailing. Made him very upset. So he builds a six-story tall pole that he wanted to impale Mordecai on as an example to all the other Jews about what was going to happen. Well, before that was able to take place um, at this party that Haman and, uh, and King Xerxes was at, Esther then finally tells the king what she really wants. She says, I want you to save my life and all the life of all my people. In that moment, she then told the king that she was Jewish, which then changed everything because the king was going to kill all the Jews. So he says, hey, who's the person that would dare try to kill the queen? She then points her finger at Haman, who was in the room, and said, it was this man who's trying to kill me and all my people. King got upset. He then impales Haman on the pole that was meant for Mordecai and then strips Haman of his title of being second in command and instead gives it to Mordecai. Mordecai becomes second in command. But the problem was is that the king's edict was still in place. The Jews were still going to be killed on this one day about nine months from this point in time. And so the queen goes to the king and says, you've got to do something about it. Problem was is that the king couldn't take back the edict he had given because he had stamped it with his ring and nothing that the king had done can be undone. So instead he passes another edict that says on this day the Jews now can defend themselves. 
against any person that tries to kill them, they can defend themselves. Sure enough, eight or nine months later, this day happens. 75,000 Persians try to murder innocent Jews. They defend themselves, defeat them all, and all the Jews were saved. This amazing moment, right? Couldn't, couldn't believe it. Unbelievable moment. These, those are the events that Mordecai was recording that we just read in verse 20. And he's sending out this dispatch to all the kingdom of Persia. But I want you to look very closely at what Mordecai is telling them to do as a result of what's taken place. So let's read again verse 20. It says, Mordecai recorded these events. He sent these letters to all the Jews throughout the province of King Xerxes near and far to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving the presents of food and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So what he says is, what I want you to do, Mordecai says to all these Jews, I want you to take time to celebrate. He says, I want you to feast. I want you to have presents. I want you to have food. I want you to take care of the poor. He says, I want you to throw a party. And we know, if we've read the book of Esther, these people love to party. All the time they are partying. And Mordecai says, every year, I want you to stop whatever you're doing. Take a couple days off of work. I want you to celebrate. But I still think it's important for us to really remember what they're celebrating. So keep reading in verse 23. Verse 23 says, So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamathida, the Agiite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and cast the purr, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued a written order that the evil schemes Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head, and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. So they are celebrating. Mordecai is saying, hey, I want you to celebrate how God saved you from near annihilation from the people of Persia. Some 15 million Jews were supposed to be slaughtered because of the evil edict of Haman. But yet he was defeated. And even his sons, we read, paid the price for his evil scheme. And so he says, I want you to celebrate not the evil that was perpetrated on you, but the fact that God, what God did for you, for the Jews. Now, now even though God is not directly mentioned anywhere in the story of Esther, the entire time his fingerprints are all over it. Everywhere you look, you're going to see God moving and God acting on behalf of his people. Just think for a moment. Esther was put, was taken out of her home into the palace at just the right time. Mordecai was at just the right place to be able to oversee what was happening about the king. Um, Esther was given the strength to be able to approach the king despite what would, might happen to her life. She was given the courage to stand between the people and the king in certain death. So God was moving in every scene of this epic story that we've just read. And I will tell you this, that God is still moving in your story too, in your life. Even when you can't quite figure out how it's all going to come into focus, he's moving. But I know that's hard. I, I do. I know because did, don't, don't we sometimes get mad at God for not answering our prayers the way that we want him to? Don't we? That, that we have this way of thinking that, that he should be moving, but he should be moving the way that's in our favor. When he doesn't, we get frustrated and we get all kinds of, of, of upset about it. At least I know I do. I, I know I do. I mean, I look around all the time and I'll say sometimes like, God, 
Not sure what you're doing here, my man, but, but, but why in the world does it seem like everything that I'm praying for is falling on deaf ears, but everybody around me in this world seems to get whatever they want and then a little bit more. Maybe you, I, I, I know that's me sometimes. And maybe in your life, you're like, God, I, I just want to be married. I'm still single. What, what's that about? God, I want a family. And as much as I want, it sure seems like everybody else, they just bump into each other on, on elevators and they're able to have kids for some reason. But yet, I, I still can't be pregnant, I'll tell you. I, I'll just say, if you, if you struggle with IVF, you know that feeling is true. And, and, and God, I, I know that um, you, I, I know that I want to actually know your will for my life. And it, sh it sure seems like all my friends are off to college and they're going to trade schools and they're on their way, but I'm, I'm stuck in neutral right now. I mean, these and an infinite number of other examples are just things that we, in our lives, that just seem to be, we like are scratching our heads like, God, what are you doing? But if we learn anything from Esther is that there are, there are things at play that we can't see because God's moving. There's moving parts that he's, he's orchestrating, which is why I want you to remember this, that God is always moving even if we can't always see the movements. And, and even when it all seems like, man, it's the darkest it's ever been, he's coming through. He's going to come through in his time and in his way. He, he will give you what I call God winks from time to time to remind you that he's still there. A little over a year ago, I had an experience like that in, in my life. A um, little over a year ago, uh, I was at a place where I was just absolutely exhausted. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, I was, I was spent. I was at the point that I was wondering, like, if anything I was doing was making any difference. As, as, as the leader of the church, with my staff, with my family, I just felt like, ugh, right? And so I was at this, I was just burning and burning and burning. And one day my, my executive pastor and, and my assistant, they actually stood in the doorway of my, my little office area and they, and they said, hey, here's the deal. Um, you're taking two days off. We're clearing your schedule. You've got to recharge, no questions asked. And so I knew they were serious. And so I said, all right, packed up my stuff, I went home, I spent about a day just kind of doing things around the house, but I knew I needed to recharge it, so I reached out to some friends of mine that are here in the church, I just said, hey, is there, is there any way that your, your cabin is available? And they're like, absolutely, no problem, um, you can have it for that day. So I, I drove up into the mountains, and I, I went to the cabin, um, and, and I had asked them, I said, hey, is there a hike that you recommend that's kind of near the cabin. It's beautiful, right outside of Yosemite. And uh, they said, yeah, go, go on this hike. This is what you need to do. And so the next morning I got up early and I, and I hiked up uh, about, about three miles-ish or so, kind of up, and was able to get back where there was this, a bit of like a, kind of a faux waterfall, but like really some, just some, some nice streams and stuff there. And I spent close to four or five hours just sitting, just praying reading scripture, resting, just re trying to recharge and really hear from God as much as I could. Well, it got to be about, you know, maybe about 2.30 or so. And I, I, I said, you know, I, I think I just want to go and have like, a, like an early, early dinner slash lunch. And there's this place that's near there along the way. I just, it, and it's, it, they've got great fish and chips. And so I just wanted to go and have some fish and chips. So I'm like, okay, so I hike back down. I get in my car at 3 o'clock. It takes me 27 minutes to get to this place. I get there. It's 27 minutes. It took me about a minute to walk in. 3.28. I looked at my watch. 3.28. I come to the, to this, to the, to the, where the, the, the entrance, right, where they, they, they seat you. And I said, hey, I'd love to just have a, have, a, have a table real quick. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. We close in two minutes because in two min at 3.30, we close so that we can get ready for the 5 o'clock dinner. So... I'm like, man, I just really love some fish and chips. Is there any way, like, I could go to the bar area and maybe? And they're like, oh, 
fine, go to the bar. So I'm like, whatever, you can be disgruntled, I don't care. So um, I, I, I remember I, I walked around this way and then I walked through this, this uh, kind of in a side room where the bar was at way in the end. And so as I come around this, this corner, um, all of a sudden there's this, this girl that starts to walk, is walking out of the kitchen area, walks toward me or walking toward me. She's carrying some lanterns that she was gonna put on the tables for the dinner service. And she looks at me and she says, Pastor Brian? <laughs> and I'm like, like, oh my goodness. And I look at her and I knew who it was. It was Jessica. Now, now Jessica, her, her name is Jessica Morris and she's very near and dear to our church. Um, a few years back, we did what was called a $5 challenge. All it was is we said, hey, just give $5 and we're gonna take all that money and we're gonna help somebody in need. Well, we gave that money to Jessica because we were able to pay off the remainder of her, her uh, cancer bills that were due. And we also bought her a new guitar because she had sold her guitar to pay for her medical bills. So you guys did that. Um, but that was part of her story. And so when, so when I saw Jessica, um, I, I was, because she kind of moved down south into Southern California. So the fact that she's even there was like, I was seeing a ghost. And she's like, Pastor Brian. I'm like, oh my goodness. And, and she says, how did you get here so fast? And, and she says, how, how did, why are you here? Why did you, why did you get here so fast? And, and I said, what are you talking about, <laughs> right? And she says, I, I texted you about an hour ago. I said, oh, well, that makes sense. I was up in the mountains. I didn't have any cell, cell phone service up there. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, well, what did you, what did you want to tell me? Uh, and I even looked at my phone. There was no text at all. And, and she says, what do you want me to tell me? She says, Pastor Brian, I wanted you to be the, one of the first to know. I'm cancer free, right? So I was like, oh my gosh. So I gave her the biggest hug I've ever given anybody in my life. Like I just was hugging her and hugging her. I couldn't believe it. And, and she says, I can't believe that you're here because at 3.30, I was going to go to my break and get ready for the dinner service. And so, so she just sat down and we talked for like 45 minutes and, and I got to hear about all the cancer stuff and everything was happening. She told me these words that I'll never forget. She says, I finally have hope in my life again. And like, just like, oh my goodness. And I just gave her this massive hug as she needed to go get ready for, for dinner service. And, and, she, and, and, if, and in that moment, it was like God was telling me, hey, man, I've, I've got you. It, it's it's going to be okay. Because if I think about it objectively, God's hand was like all over this thing. Think about it. He prompted my team at just the right time to, to know that I needed help. He allowed the kindness of some friends and the generosity of some friends to allow me to go to retreat to their, to their place. He, he then, he kept me on that mountain for just the right amount of time. He, he allowed me to arrive at that restaurant at just the right time. He allowed me to meet the right person at the right time to hear the message that I needed at, right, that, at the right time. Oh, 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 and if that wasn't cool enough, I forgot this part, that as, as Jessica rounded that corner to go back for her break and get, and, you know, so she cornered back into the, and I couldn't see her anymore. The second she was out of sight, my phone dinged. And I looked at the phone, and it was her text message. So God even delayed me getting that message so I could hear it from her. So, so I tell you that so you could just please hear me. God's always moving, even if we can't see all the movements. J just like, like a duck that's on the water, and it looks so peaceful, and it's kind of moving here and there. If you look underneath, those legs are going like crazy, aren't they? There's always movement. The same thing's about God. We can't see all the movements, but he is moving. And, and so even in the most difficult of times, it would be really wise for us to take some lessons from a man by the name of Job in the Bible. Job, who in the middle of losing all of his wealth, all of his land, all of his health, all of his children, still was able to say these words. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but may the name of the Lord be praised. 
So this means that even when we pray and it doesn't, he doesn't answer us exactly how we think that he should, it does not mean that he's not working. It just means that he has a different plan in that moment. He, he's moving. You just can't always see the movements. So, so what we see here in Esther is that even, even though people wish that they never had to go through this whole near-death thing, this agony, this pain, this fear of, all, of, of, trying, of almost being killed, Mordecai still says, hey, we got to celebrate God, though. But, but look very closely at the words that he describes as to why they should celebrate. Go back and, and look again. He would say, he would say, and as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy, and their mourning into a day of celebration. That's powerful. He, he just said that they need to remember the moment that their sorrow became joy, their mourning became celebration. How could that possibly be anywhere possible at all? How could a near holocaust be turned into joy? How could the fear of being murdered in their own home be anything other than a nightmare? How could sorrow become celebration? How can being single when I want to be married be joyful? How can having trouble becoming pregnant be, be anything good? How can not being stuck, not knowing what I'm going to do in my life, be something that I should celebrate? The answer is only through God. Only God can allow our hearts to turn what was once meant to be hurtful to now become joyful through any circumstance that we're going through. Because only God can use anything for his good. How about this? There's this guy in the Bible, his name is the Apostle Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Um, in there, he was, he was beaten, imprisoned, stoned, shipwrecked, lost at sea, bitten by snakes, left for dead. Yet he still was able to tell the church in Rome, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Old Testament, a, a young man by the name of Joseph Youngest of his brothers, he went out to see them one day on the fields. They were very jealous of him because his father loved him more than them. They beat him up, threw him in a well, left him for dead, separating from his family. Only to go back, pull him out of the well, sell him into slavery. He then was taken to Egypt, sold to another, into an, in a Potiphar's home. Uh, Potiphar's wife then falsely accuses him of, of sexual misconduct. He's thrown into prison, forgotten about for years. Until one day he is taken out of that prison, becomes the second highest ranking official in all of Egypt. But one day those brothers that ruined his life came to him when they were in need. And yet despite the fact he had a chance to get redemption on them, he says this instead. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. How is that possible? How is it possible in our church today, even in our church? How is a, a young teenager by the name of Mason Ferrelli battling brain cancer for years and years and years still able to stay positive, love Jesus, and influence other people? How can Jessica Morrison, who now has her cancer return and is still battling that, still smile, and when you talk to her, she cares more about you than she does herself? How is that possible? Only God. Only through the work of God in our lives do we not let the things of this world hold us back from seeing the power of God working in our lives. And when we trust him, when we believe he is working out all things for good for those that love him, then we start to understand what David tells us in Psalm 30. 
In Psalm 30, David says, you turned, this is God, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. That is powerful to grasp. That, that no matter what you're going through, God can and will use it if you'll learn to leverage even your pain for his ultimate glory. When we see, for those of us that accept the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that God is for us, not against us. And then, then we could take on anything that we go through with a new passion and zeal. It's like we get covered in like a Holy Spirit Teflon that covers our life. And no matter what the world throws at it, it just will not stick. Slides right off. Because we just trust that God's good. He's going to use all this for good some way. And when we do that, all of a sudden we're free. And when we're free, it allows us to celebrate even hard things like cancer and divorce and infertility and depression and anxiety and job loss and addiction. And I could keep going because the Teflon of God is at work and it means that we can live our lives differently no matter what we're up against. So, so despite what the Jewish people had to endure that year, the Jews were called to celebrate, to turn their mourning into joy. And they even gave a name to this remembrance. Look with me in verse 23. It says, so the Jews agreed to, oh, excuse me, verse 26. It says, therefore these days were called Purim from the word pur. Because of everything written in this letter, because of what they had seen and what they had, had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, in every province, in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. Now what I love about that is that even in a subtle way, the name itself is a way to remember Purim comes from the word pur, which means lot, and lot is a type of gambling that was used by the pagan religions of Persia to decide things. It's what Haman used to decide on what day the annihilations of the Jews was going to take place. I'll refresh your memory. Back in Esther chapter 3, we read that in the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pur, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month, the day that we're going to murder them, and the lot fell on the twelfth month in the month of Adar. So even in the name Purim, it was a way of establishing a way of like, never forgetting what God did to save the Jews through Mordecai and through Esther. Each year, even now, each year, every March, Jews will celebrate, and it's marked by some interesting things. They'll read the Megillah, which is the story of Esther. They dress up in costumes, so think of like a Jewish Halloween or Mardi Gras kind of thing. They give gifts of food to friends and family. They have charity to orphans, to those in need. They, they eat uh, hat-shaped cookies called hamastashins, and in, in, in they eat it because it reminds them of Haman. And then they have these, these great festivals that they do. So, so people to this day are supposed to remember and to celebrate what God did. And Purim was supposed to be a way of uniting the Jews together and celebrating under the banner of God's goodness. But what I want you to see is something very, very subtle that in these next verses I'm about to read that tries to derail the celebration before it ever really began. And I want to see if you can 
if you could catch it. Re keep reading with me. Look at verse 29. It says, So Queen Esther, daughter of Abala, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote, the full, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance, to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times and fasting and lamentations. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in, in the records. So did you catch it? It's, it's very subtle. But it said that Esther had to write a second letter. Mordecai wrote the first letter, spelled out exactly what we should, should do, very clear. We just read it. So what's up with the second letter? Well, here's the thing. In my reading, some scholars believe that the reason she had to write a second letter was that there was people that were bent out of shape and didn't like the way in which things were being celebrated and when it was being celebrated. I know you've never heard about religious people arguing about stupid things, but, you know, <laughs> I know. It's a fantasy, right? But this is what it right? Because, because when the attack happened on the Jews, it happened over the course of two days that they had to protect themselves. So there was a dispute about when the party should start, basically. So this required Esther to kind of speak into this dispute amongst religious people and be able to reiterate what this two-day celebration was all about. She had to spell it out, all the details, so everybody would understand. And so now that the queen's weight was behind it, this should finally make it Simple and, and final, right? Now, the reason that I resonate with that so much is that not only am I a pastor, I'm also a leader. And as a leader, I totally get Mordecai and Esther in this moment. Because I know that they must have been like back at the palace. This whole, this Holocaust thing is blown over. They're breathing again, like we talked about last week. They had just sent out word. They had given these people two days off to celebrate, you know, paid vacation, whatever you want to say. Right? And so they finally have kind of done all this stuff. And they, maybe they're heading back into the palace and they're going to hang out with King Xerxes and they're going to sit down to some nice roasted fig and rice and unleavened bread and lamb and, and wine. Because you know, King Xerxes, he's a lush because he's going to have wine everywhere. Like every, they're going to have the wine again. And then as they're sitting there, someone kind of comes in and they whisper in Mordecai's ear something. And Mordecai's like, You've got to be kidding me right now. Are you serious? And Esther's sitting there like, well, what happened, Morty? Like, what's, what's happened, buddy? And Mordecai's like, hey, you remember that celebration we decided to remember what God, that God had done and we gave everybody two days off and we said, you know what, eat and dance and laugh and all that kind of stuff. Remember that? And Esther's like, yeah, sure. I helped you plan the whole thing. You remember that's the only way it happened. And Mordecai's like, well, sister, you're never going to believe what's going to happen now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, they're all bent out of shape because they don't want to go for days and on. Me, 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 me. And Esther's like, you know, like, you've got to be kidding me. And Mordecai's like, no, no, no. It's like a hot mess. As if we didn't do enough for them at this point, right? If I perish, I perish. And Haman's head, the whole thing, right? And now they're complaining about this small stuff. And Esther's like, oh, okay, 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 fine. All right, give me my ring. I'll take care of this. We'll write another letter, you know. Every leader in this room is saying, hey, man, I've been in that conference room, okay? I've been in that, because leadership 101, you're never going to make everybody happy no matter what you do. Never. It is literally the hardest thing to do in the entire world. You might try and try and try and try and try, and there's always going to be, be people that are bent out of shape, don't understand it, not tracking. And so what do you do as a leader? You love. 
You, you, you keep casting vision. You clarify things. But all the while, you just believe in what God's called you to do. So if you're a leader here today, listen to me. Keep leading, right? Love people. Talk with people. Have patience with people. But keep leading, okay? You can do it. Not everybody's going to get it. But you got to keep leading. You just got to. And, and lead like Jesus. Love really well. Learn to celebrate even when it's hard. And so in Esther, her answer is just so beautiful as a leader to think about. Instead of getting cranky, she brings clarity. She helps them understand so they can celebrate better because even good things can be confusing and they need a little clarification. So she does that because she doesn't want them to miss out on what God was doing. Didn't want them to miss out on the God moment in the confusion because isn't that what Satan wants to do? Mess everything up, make you all confused so you miss the joy? But there was way too huge God moments to have that happen. So she says, no, 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 this small disagreement, no way, I'm gonna have some clarity. And I would just say this, that if you are looking to celebrate what God is doing in your life, would you remember this? Don't let anyone or anything rob you of celebrating all that God has done in your life. Don't you dare let them, just don't let it happen. Don't let anything steal your joy, nothing. Because here's the deal, it's not worth it. And you're the one that's gonna lose out on it, not them. They could care less. The only thing they wanna do is see you miserable. So they're gonna say dumb things, think dumb things, make you think dumb things, so you get your joy sucked out of your life. And you say, not happening, no way. So, so Purim, what Purim is about, it's about restoring joy to the people that Haman tried to steal from them. It was celebrating in spite of the pain. Because this is what I want you to remember. Purim is, reminds us it's all about him. Purim reminds us it's all about him. It's about remembering who's in control and what God did even in really, really difficult times. My friends, God is worth celebrating. Now, not just for what he's done for us, but frankly for who he is. See, see, we often have this perception that the only reason that God is here is, is for us. As if God like wakes up every day and he's like, okay, what can I do for them today to have them continue to believe in me? What can I do? That is not the case. Yes, he loves us. He is here for us. He wants good for us. But he is who he is. He is not changing. He's drawing us to himself as is. No upgrades, no additions needed because he is enough. The world, it tells you all the time, you got a customized thing to make it exactly how you want it in your life all the time. God says, that's cute, not with me. I know what you need and I'm it. So when we celebrate God, we celebrate him for who he is. Who he is. So this week, last memory verse card. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. If you missed any of them, you can get them all at the guest information desk. I want you to memorize that. I also want you to ask yourself, what battle are you in the middle of right now? And how are you asking God to find joy in him through it? That's your homework. But as, as I thought about this book, as we kind of come to the end of this time in Esther, I, as I sat back and looked at it in its totality, I realized it's a very, very unique story. Because it's really a story about a near-death experience. 
Yep, the, the Jews' lives are on the line. Yes, many Persians died as they tried to attack the Jews. But the actual massacre of 15 million Jews, it never happened. God saved them. It was a near-death experience. And the reality is, is that the world that we live in is headed to a real death experience because of our sin. That is until Jesus came to, to save us. Look closely at what it says in the book of Hebrews. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus took on the morning of death and instead gave us the joy of his salvation. And he did that because he loves us. And he took on the pain and the misery of our sin in our place so that we could experience joy. Because Jesus is the greater Esther, greater Mordecai, because his sacrifice was as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he did all of that because he loves you and he loves me. And as a king, he wore a broken crown too. Not one of silver or gold, but one of twisted twigs and thorns. We read this in Matthew chapter 27. It says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Jesus took on a broken crown so that you and I could receive a crown of life that's only found in him. And the sacrifice of King Jesus is what allows us to celebrate the joy of our salvation found in him because of his pain and his death that he took for us. Which is ultimately how we can celebrate the joy defeating our mourning and our sorrow once and for all. So what is Esther really all about? It's about this. It's about celebrating God at work even in the most darkest in most difficult times. He's always moving. You might just not see all the movements. Mighty God and Father, I thank you as we turn our hearts towards this time of communion to remember what you've done for us, the moment in time where our sorrow turned to joy because of your death on the cross, your resurrection from the dead, your promise to one day come back. Father, we just thank you that we have that hope we live in a world that is devoid of hope in so many ways. We try to look to ourselves for answers on how we can make things right or if I can customize my, right, my life such and such a way, I won't need you, God, but the truth is we need you more than ever. And so in this moment, I just, I just beg that your spirit would fall on us and that even in the darkest of moments that we could, we could celebrate you, that we could find joy. So thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for being the son of suffering for us. May we simply worship you now to prepare us to remember you. In your name we pray.
Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast. Thank you.